Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Tuesday, August the 10th, and this next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God, and we make the connections of the Old and New Testament, which is founded in Christ in this powerful and rich book of Hebrews chapter 2. We are hitting the ground running as we have just received those rich gifts from Dr. Kleinig, who is the author of the Concordia Commentary yesterday. And I tell you what, I was talking to a few people about this, is it is so powerful to listen. I had to listen to it two or three times, even to fully get a grasp of all that Dr. Kleinig was saying. And I still don't get it, which is a joy of knowing that we continually go back to God's word because we are not only warned not neglect our salvation, we are pointed continuously back to our salvation in this wonderful book of Hebrews. Big words, but we will break it down because it all gives us Christ. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us regular guest, Pastor John Lekomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics. Pastor Lekomsky, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It's good to be back, Brady. And before we do anything else, I have the perfect joke for this Bible study. Are you okay, ready for the perfect? So, so what book of the Bible, what book and chapter of the Bible tells us that not only women should make coffee? Oh, my goodness. Hebrews 2. <laughs> there you go. When I saw I had this chapter, I thought, I got to use that joke. Hebrews 2. I yeah. love it. I so. love it. Well, and I, you know, it, uh, I didn't, I didn't hear a drum roll in the back or can I do that? No, <laughs> no that's a money one. Never mind. <laughs> Write down what those are. Anyway. Oh, so, so pastor, what's going on for you besides jokes? Well, so, so here's the thing. See, when we do wrestling with the basics on Saturday mornings, we always have something like that at the beginning. Cause that means it's got to get better, Brady. <laughs> it's got to get better. So no, we're doing fine. We're, we're still up in Northfield enjoying finally, uh, the pretty weather, right? I mean, you're up here in Minnesota too, and it's been really yep. hot for yeah. Minnesota, but now we're back to normal temperatures and enjoying all that and excited to be talking to you again. Uh, and in fact, I understand we're going to see each other maybe uh, at yeah. the end of the month. So we're excited about that too, Brick. Yeah, right. Uh, for our, our guest, uh, uh, pray um, August 27th around there. If anybody is in town around lunchtime, um, we will be probably at Hogan Brothers. I think that's what we want to eat, don't we? Yeah, well, that's yeah. yeah. You, you said you know that place, and that'd be a great place. They have wonderful sandwiches. So, yeah, that'd be great. Friday, August 27th. Meet us there if you're a listener <laughs> of Thy Strong Word and other people as well. So, uh, Pastor, let's get into Hebrews 2, as you said in your joke yeah. before. Can you get, start our time in prayer? Oh, Lord, uh, you know, the whole book of Hebrews, it, it, it seems like a strange book to us. In fact, we're wondering, why does this guy, what's all of his concern about angels or what have you? Uh, and yet there are so many wonderful, beautiful promises that are given in this book. So help us, oh, Lord, to open our hearts and our minds to hear this wonderful gospel you want to share with us, particularly the wonderful things you tell us about uh, Jesus being our brother and being our propitiation. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor, I 
I love the book of Hebrews. I always find myself going back to the book of Hebrews yeah. by the rich theology, the, the focus on Christ. Obviously, all of Scripture does this, but it's never more explicit than here when you connect it to the Old Testament. And you look at chapter 1, like Dr. Kleinig and, and I went through yesterday, and the Old Testament is quoted eight times. Throughout the whole book, it's over 35 times. Is that the right? The Old Testament is quoted, yeah. And it's a phenomenal connection that's not just trying— it doesn't appear that the author is trying to prove how smart they are, but it is showing, hey, this is where your hope is, and it all connects. So what are your thoughts about the book of Hebrews in general, and maybe chapter one or the themes for today? What do you got for us? All right, so, so what, what I'm hearing is in chapter one, he comes and he establishes that Jesus is the almighty son of God. You know, he, he does that whole divinity thing. And, and now in chapter two, it seems like he's going to say, and not only is he the almighty son of God, God himself, but he's also man, flesh and blood, just like you and me. So those two fundamental doctrines about Jesus that the church has wrestled with and even fought over to establish that Jesus is both true God and true man. It seems like those fundamentals are covered here in chapter one and chapter two. That would be my impression. And then, of course, he's going to do all the Old Testament stuff, too, which is what makes it really rich, because this isn't just odds and ends. It's not just things that happen to happen in the Old Testament. No, that was all pointing ahead to what was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he does a really good job of, of pointing that out, doesn't he, Brady? He really does. And this is where chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 are just some of those lines that just flow from the tongue. So, for example, if you were to do one of the prayer offices in the uh, Lutheran service book, uh, before the sermon, um, it often will start like this. You know, long a time and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then the response from the congregation is, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And, and, and that reminds us, one, that Jesus is speaking to us. I mean, this is, yeah. this is huge when it comes to worship and scriptures. Um, and secondly, that when we're preaching— we we're here to preach about Jesus, and and that is that's what I and and right away the author of this, as Dr. Kleinick said so well yesterday, was basically this is like a, a sermon of all sermons, meaning that this person, whoever it was, wrote it kind of like bringing all of their greatest sermons together into <laughs> one. Okay, <laughs> and and he starts off right away to say, by the way, this is going to be about Jesus and how he connects and how he speaks to you now. So any thoughts on that? That's really fascinating stuff. Well, I, I think it's, it's it's really neat that you bring out the very first verse about, you know, God spoke to us through the prophets, but now he's speaking to us through his son, because that ties in right away with the very first verse we have in chapter two. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Because, see, that's what he's referring to. We're not hearing just things from men that God sent anymore, but the message that we're talking about now, like you said, this has come from God's own son himself. This has come from Jesus Christ. So if we were paying attention to the prophets, which we should do, shouldn't we pay much, much more close attention to what is actually coming directly from the very Son of God? So let's listen to him this morning. Um, we will read verses 1 through 4. Reminder to our listeners, this is from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since a message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, 
How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributing according to his will. So right away, he starts, don't neglect salvation is his basic message yeah. is how yeah. I see it. How would you see these first four verses? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. So did client, you know, the one thing that's strange in these first couple chapters is he's talking about angels all the time. And now he's talking about angels here, and he's going to talk about angels in a few verses. Did Kleinig address that at all, why he seems to be so fascinated with angels? Uh, he did not. I know okay. in his commentary he does. It's just, like I said, not only does he speak with such richness, he writes with it too. So I have to read right. it once again, but yes. So I'll get, more. I'll get his thing. So I, cause that, but, but anyway, the, the point he's making here is there was this Jewish tradition that the law, the 10 commandments came and the angels were involved in it. Uh, now, now the English says declared by angels, but the Greek actually is th uh, through angels. So, so God's the spokesman. He's always a spokesman. But, but somehow they had this concept of the angels being involved in the deliverance of the um, uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, Acts 7, 53 says, You who received the law as delivered by angels and mm. did not keep it. Uh, Deuteronomy, I think, is where this probably comes from, where it says he came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. The Lord came from Sinai, it says. And, and even Paul kind of picks it up and talks about the, the law, which was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Um, so I'm sure if you would go and do uh, Jewish cosmology, they would be talking about the angels being involved. And, and so he said, we, we know that was valid. We know it was valid because we know what happened when you broke the law. There were the consequences, right? There was transgression, retribution. But, but then how can we not really be paying close attention to what will bring us salvation? And, and I just think it's neat because he says, we don't have angels. We've got the Lord who's declared it. Uh, it was attested to us by those that heard it, referring, of course, to the apostles. We've got God himself who bore witness, and you got the Holy Spirit confirming it with signs and wonders. So it's just a really I, and and it's it says the Hebrews right, and I think the assumption is he's writing primarily to 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 the Hebrews to the Jews, and, and so it's a beautiful argument. He says, "You guys listen to the prophets, you listen to the law. Now you you really really need to pay closer attention to the fulfillment of all of those things in Jesus Christ." And this points us to Galatians chapter one where Paul warns the church in Galatia that even if an angel came ah. with a message counter the gospel, then don't, don't listen to it. It doesn't matter where it comes. And here the author is telling them the angel brought the right thing. <laughs> 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 and you need to listen to this, which is very important for us to remember too, uh, that all that connection that's there, as you said, the tradition among the Jewish people, that this is how the law came. It'd be interesting to find out more, as we said in Dr. Kleinig's um, commentary, encouragement to our listeners uh, to, if, the, if you're looking to buy a commentary, Hebrews is one of the best ones out there from the Concordia commentary. And here he's pointing once again to the sal great salvation. I love that in verse three. Yes. Why neglect such a great salvation? He doesn't just say salvation, he says great salvation. And when he talks about salvation, any thoughts on, on how he speaks of it here and what it means for us? 
Well, okay. So, so salvation means to be delivered from something. That That's the essence of the word. Uh, and, and of course, as Christians, we talk about being delivered from the devil and from sin and, and from death. Uh, but but he, he's going to go into detail how that salvation is accomplished. And, and that's what I really like about this chapter too. Because when we get to the end, he's going to add something that we don't often think about in terms of salvation. Because when I think of salvation, I think of forgiveness. That That's usually the word I use. But in the end, he's going to throw this new word in there. That's, again, an Old Testament word, the word propitiation. And there's something about propitiation that's even better than salvation and forgiveness. But we'll we'll save that till we get to the end of the text. I think, I think throughout our time, we have to challenge our listeners is how can you use the word propitiation at the next time you have coffee with your buddy <laughs> or have a beer with your friends? Uh, you know, how can I fit propitiation into this conversation? <laughs> I think that's our goal. But, but also, it really is an important one for us to remember because it goes beyond just you know, forgiveness of sins. I mean, we'll use yeah. that language, but it goes even deeper, which is hard to believe, but it really yeah. does go deeper for us. So, Pastor, anything else in the first four verses? Nope, nope. I think we've covered it, Brady. All right, let's keep moving forward. Do not neglect this great salvation. Then he points us once again back to Christ, verses 5 through 9. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, put everything in subjection under his feet. Now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So once again, he starts quoting some Old Testament, which I believe is Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, and he starts speaking about Jesus. What is, what is, what is he telling us here? Okay, so so as we we said, uh, and, and by the way, again, he starts out by by uh, by dissing the angels. <laughs> it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come, uh, uh, and so I, I don't know. I'm just wondering. Do you think there was like a cult of the angels or something? Maybe that's why Paul says that too. That's a good verse you cited there too. Don't you know? Don't trust an angel. Maybe, maybe there was a cult that said, you know, Christianity is kind of secondary because we have revelation from angels and oh. they just have revelation from men i well, i don't know let's take a moment to think yeah. about this process for a little bit because yeah. you know if you drive down 6440 in st louis on the way in um I, I always think of everything in terms of from minnesota but from the west into st louis you have that huge mormon tabernacle with oh. the, the angel of moroni yeah oh. yeah so you have that and then you have the whole you could talk about mormonism the rest of the time but I, I would not doubt there's some connection to this that, and even in our own culture, we talk about, someone talks about faith and they're like, oh yeah, I have faith. I believe in guardian angels or something. Like that's pretty common, actually. People will focus on the angels before they even talk about Jesus. So I can relate that he might be addressing that. I, we don't have anything for sure, thus says the Lord, but I, I totally can see it even in our own world. 
Yeah, and, and I, boy, I really appreciate that insight because I hadn't thought about that. But you're right. That, that angels are all over. And, and people think, well, that's what it is to, to be a believer, to have angels. But but it, doesn't this make this a powerful argument? He says, well, really, angels wasn't that big of a deal. Oh, right. oh they are. Uh, at the end of the first chapter, they're, they're ministering spirits. That's how he refers to the angels, which I always thought was cool. So in other words, why did God make angels to serve us, to serve man? That's they're 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 ministers to us. They they work for us. See, uh, and and don't you think maybe that's why the devil he decided to 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 get out of there. He said, "Why would I be serving these puny flesh and blood humans? They they have none of my powers or my strength." But this is this is a well. Anyway, now we're off into a different subject because definitely he said here, no, you know what God thought was important, not the angels. That's not the big deal, but it is man. And what's so neat about this verse, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? At the same time, he's talking about you and me, right? Isn't that who the psalmist is talking about? He's talking about us as people, as humans. And yet at the same time, he's talking about Jesus, right? right. This is Jesus that is being prophesied here, which of course is the whole point of this chapter, that Jesus is absolutely like us. Okay, and that's well, we're going to get into that more a little bit later. But but it, it's something we got to contemplate that that the one he has established as the Almighty Son of God, right? He is the ruler. He's the Creator. He's everything. Now all of a sudden is also one of us. That's a striking thing. I don't know any other God that has done that. There's a lot of gods out there, but but they all like to keep their distance, don't they? You know, even angels, they kind of keep their distance from us because, well, they're angels, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet now we've got this God that the author of Hebrews is describing who who wants to become like us. In fact, even to be considered lower than the very angels that he created. Uh, and yet crowned with glory and honor. No, no, don't. See, I like, that's the other thing I like about this set of verses you just read. We don't see it. I, I love that verse. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him referring, of course, to Jesus Christ and also to us. Uh, we don't see that. And, and so everyone out there who right now is struggling because they have a, a loved one who's ill, or maybe they themselves are ill, or maybe they got financial problems, or maybe they're out of a job, or maybe they've got family that, that seem like they're, they're drifting away, as it said at the beginning of this text. They're drifting away from the Lord. We got a whole host of things that really trouble us. But but don't be fooled by that. No, no, the Lord is in control. Jesus is in control. And and with Jesus, we also, everything's going to work out for our good. But we don't see that now. Um, it, I mean, that that's just, it's very rich and powerful things you just mentioned there, uh, Pastor. And one of the, when he psalms, uh, quotes Psalm 8, last Friday, um, Pastor Nathan Metter, did Psalm eight? That was our study. Was on Friday. perfect, yeah. And and he made a wonderful. There's two connections that I think really stick out from what you're telling us. Is first of all, what is man, us, that you are mindful of him? And he spoke about how if you if you were to go on a diet or whatever it might be, is that one of the things they tell you to when you eat is to be mindful of what you eat. Because when you're mindful, then you realize what you're eating, and then you don't have to have as much because you're actually enjoying it, and you have to think about it. And he speaks about even more so that, obviously, before we're even conceived, the Lord is mindful of you. 
before before anything, he is mindful of you. He is thinking about. He knows you. He knows the hair of your head, the hairs on your head. He knows all of that. That the Lord of all creation is mindful of you, which I think was a very uh, very good reminder for all of us as we think about identity. Who am I? What am I? Well, you are you are a child of God by Christ and His death and resurrection. And with that, that you have the angels who are just serving us. You know, they really are not having this glorious job. But then Jesus put himself even lower than an angel, an angel who serves us day and night, you know, ministering spirits, so forth. And Jesus put himself even below that, even lower form of a servant for you, mindful of you in every single which way. And that is, I thought that was a powerful way of him describing Jesus um, that really hits home for me as I hear it once again, connecting it from Psalm 8 and connecting it here, um, telling us about all this. We cannot yet see it, but it does not mean it's not true. And 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 I'm really touched by what you said there, Brady, because, yeah, a lot of times when we are having struggles, we just really do feel like no one really cares. Mm-hmm. And, and how can that be, you know, but but so that's the affirmation here. No, no, don't 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 conclude from your trials and trouble, struggles that God doesn't care. He does. He is mindful of you. And in fact, don't you think that's kind of the point where he talks about Jesus who suffered and who died uh, to remind us, see, that's that's the great thing about our God. He understands what you're feeling. He's been there. He knows what it is to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah, you know, so no, no, don't ever assume that he doesn't. He, he is mindful. He does care for us. And again, so we have the suffering. We've got the death. But again, uh, emphasized both in the passage he quotes and then his own words, crowned with glory and honor. So we we look at Jesus and we say, okay, here's a guy like us. He had a lot of struggles. He had friends that betrayed him. And and yet it it was okay. It's okay in the end. And it'll be all right with us. It'll work. And and don't you love that? How do we know that? So that by the grace of God, see, because that's that's where the devil comes in and says, well, yeah, that was true of Jesus. But then, you know, Jesus, well, he was a really good guy. Well, we know you're not. See, but but no, no, it's it's by grace. It's by grace. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that he tasted death already for for us, for everyone. Um, and that's where the tasting of death for everybody, it, that is a um, it connects. A lot of this connects us to Jesus. What we go through, Jesus understands. You yeah. know, so you could easily talk about how Jesus um, understands those temptations. He understands those those fears. Of course, we could even go to the temptation of Jesus, and after he has, you know, um, um, been fasting forty days, and he withstands the temptations of the devil. And at the end, this goes back to angels, and the angels minister to him. You know, oh, just yeah. kind of yeah. a lot of those connections that we'll see in our own. But here, he experiences the thing that we all are so fearful of in our own lives, and fearful for our loved ones, and fearful of others is death itself. And that's where it really brings it together of Jesus, not as a buddy, but Jesus who understands everything that we go through. Not only does he know it because he's God, but he's felt it just like us. And I don't, I don't know any thoughts on that as far as that God knows the feelings, because we can assume he doesn't because he's God and he's perfect and all this, but he knows the feelings and what that can mean for us. And, and Well, the only thing I would add to that is, is there's a lot of gods out there competing. 
Uh, and, and I just want to emphasize again, you can go look at the gods, you know, the god of, of the Muslim religion, of, of the Mormon religion, uh, the god of the Hindus and, and whatever. Uh, and, you know, people like say, oh, oh, all religions are alike. You know, they're all just sort of paths to the same god. But you check out those religions, and there's not a god there that would care enough about you to actually come and take upon your suffering and your death and your flesh and blood and all your struggles. They don't. All those other gods, they stay up in their holy place with their angels, you know. Uh, but ours is the only God. Ours is the only angels that actually bother to come down here and, and minister to us. And, and as you said, to think that Jesus does even more than that. He actually takes on our flesh and blood and dies for us. Yeah, you show me a God that does that. I might I might consider that God, but ours is, ours is the only one who does. So I think we can say with full confidence, there ain't one, there ain't one like that except the one, <laughs> the one true God, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a powerful thing. So, Pastor, I think during this time, as we've gone through the first nine verses, I think it's time for us to take our break. We are studying Hebrews chapter two with Pastor John Lekomsky, and we will be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 2, where we are uh, really being revealed to us the crystal clearness of who Christ is. Do we still have a lot of questions? Absolutely. But why would we worry about all those other questions when we have this great salvation that has been made so clear, connecting us to history, connecting us to the Old Testament, connecting us to everything that we can imagine, even to the angels and showing us how it all comes together in Jesus. And so right now we've gotten halfway through our text. And so, Pastor, um, any last thoughts on those first nine verses before we proceed? Nope, I, I'm, I'm ready to move on, Brady. You yeah. are ready. Yeah. All right, so I'm ready as well. So we will continue verses 10 through 13, where he continues to quote and point us to Christ in the Old Testament. 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has, has given me. So he begins with, for it was fitting. What's fitting in these verses? Ah, uh, it, it means to, to what's, what's appropriate, what really should be. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, that he, 
he reminds us again that he's talking about the same guy he was talking about in chapter one, for whom and by whom all things exist. Uh, it's actually much, much simpler in, in the Greek. It simply says everything is his, okay? It's just all his. So so it's not, not now we're kind of doing a, a Greek thing where, you know, the gods came down and became man. Uh, but no, this, this is still that eternal God. He's complete and totally God. Uh, and yet he's taken on flesh and blood. He's taken on suffering. Um, and, and you know, it is interesting now, Brady, that he uses the word fitting because that wouldn't seem fitting to, mm. to most people, would it? It wouldn't seem proper, appropriate that the almighty creator who has all power in his hands, everything, uh, in fact, who has created everything. There's nothing that exists apart from him. Uh, and yet, for those of who have faith, we understand, yeah, that's that's absolutely fitting. I cannot think of a better thing that the creator could do for us than to actually become one of us. Now, when we look at this, and this is, you know, I don't know if you have the answer to this because I didn't look this up, but I figured I may as well ask you because sure. uh, we could at least admit that we both don't. It says, in bringing <laughs> many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was fitting that bringing many sons to glory. Who is he talking about there? Many sons. Well, he's talking about you and me. He's talking okay. about you and me. We're, we're the ones that are going to have the glory, aren't we? Oh, that's uh, what I would think. But Yeah, I yeah, yeah. It. No, I think he's talking about everyone who, who has faith. Those are the sons, and he's going to bring us to glory. Uh, we're, we, I already said, we're in a world where we do not see uh, that, that the world is subject to us. In fact, just the opposite. It seems like we're subject to the world, uh, uh -huh. even though the Bible said, no, 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 this is all subject to you. But don't, don't despair. The time will come. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, isn't that cool, too? So do the angels sit uh, around uh, God ruling? No, the angels don't do that, but we will. That's the picture that's given us, that we will rule with Jesus in heaven. Uh, so that's who he's talking about. And, and as long as you brought up the word sons of glory, um, I, I was reading this book by uh, Sarah Rudin, and I, I don't advocate reading it because there's a lot of things that I, I wouldn't agree with. But but her uh, her vocation is translating classical Greek Oh, okay. Sure. And so it's fun to read her because she knows the classical Greek. And, and she points out we've really lost uh, the appreciation for the word son and the word brother, which we're going to we had here as well, because uh, it's just we throw those terms all around. But but in the Greek and Roman culture, to be a son was was the big deal. Because if you were not related to somebody who was a landowner or somebody who was an aristocrat, you, you really had nothing to look forward to. Um, and, and if you were a free man, even you didn't really have much, except you would hope maybe your, your sons would do better than you. So to have a son, uh, that, that was a very, very important thing. And along with it, then to have brothers was that family was a really, really big deal. Uh, and, and now, like I say, we just throw those terms around, but for him to call us to be sons and then to remember, of course, who he's talking about is the almighty God. I don't know if we really appreciate that in our, our culture today. That was a profound thing for the author to say, and even more to say about brothers, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, that's helpful too, to think about, and, and Dr. Kleinig really advocates this. And when we've gone through the Psalms, I've had to advocate for it, even though I'm not good at it, is slowing down and cutting and looking into these small words as yeah. this that you mentioned is there's a lot of there's a lot packed into those words we don't want to go too far and say oh it used to mean this and it used to mean this and 
Lord have mercy, you get lost in the weeds. But there is some powerful words here that are very much so like, hmm, I wonder what that means. And just simply saying brothers, I never grew up with a brother, me and my sister, my um, my beloved sister. And so I never had a brother. And so it's it, there's somewhat meaning to that, but the meaning is significantly different in this culture than it would be for ours. But I want to take one step back before that. He says, for those, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have the one source what does sanctify mean okay and see here's the thing too it means to be holy all right mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean that's that's the normal word we would use you could say he who holifies and those who are holified but sanctifies and sanctified works better because i don't think there is a word holified is there <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> but 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 the idea is something that's set apart See, when we hear that word, we think of something that's good. Oh, they're good. They're nice. They, they do good things, right? Um, but, but actually, the word means something that's been taken and separated out, set apart. So, so the, the example of sanctification I always use is in, in our church, we had a, what they call a flagon. Okay? It's what we filled with wine when we did communion. Now, at, at never, if we were running short of pitchers for a potluck, would anyone suggest, oh, oh go, go grab that flagon, <laughs> right? We got that flagon, so let's fill it up with Kool-Aid because we need an extra pitcher over here for the potluck. You would never do that because mm. that flagon had been sanctified. It had been set aside for a special purpose, only for the use of the Lord's Supper. It'd be almost blasphemy to use it in any other way. And that's what he's saying. This is what's happened to you and me. And it's actually what it meant when he said bringing many sons to glory. See, we're not part of everything anymore. We've been sanctified. We've been set out. We have a special purpose here and now. We have a special future, a future of glory. See, Uh, and he is the one that does that. I think that's what's cool about this. It's not we who are sanctify ourselves, is it? It says specifically, he who sanctifies, those who are sanctified. This is a thing you can't do. Now, 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 please don't misunderstand me. Will we do good works? Will we do works of love? Absolutely, right? Does not the flagon fill itself? Or it doesn't fill itself, but it's filled with wine and used for the supper? Of course, the things set aside have a purpose. They're used for that purpose. You and I have the purpose of loving the neighbor. That's why we've been set aside. But I think we need to remember, we don't set ourselves aside. No, it's it's Jesus who sanctifies. It's he who sanctifies, and we're the ones he's sanctified. And that's very helpful as we look through all of this, is it's just that small reminder that it's the Lord who sanctifies us, makes us yeah. holy. And although we, we will we'll say it, it's always good for us to be reminded of how does that happen. Obviously, like you said, um, the Lord's Supper, um, this this Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, we had a baptism of twins, um, and that was a lot of fun. Oakley and Ivan, that's good for everyone's oh. prayer. And it's always fun to baptize I love those twins, names. Then you, then you care. Yeah, exactly. Ivan the Terrible and Oakley the Sunglasses. Um, but anyways, uh, you bring them to the front, and it's fun to carry two kids when you do a baptism, and you bring oh, them to the front. Oh, right? yeah. Um, but they did great. And so I, it's just a lot of fun to see this couple that, that, uh, that, you know, came to us and said, we need to get married. So you did it. And then, and then all of a sudden they kept coming and then all of a sudden they have one child. And then 18 months later, they have twins in their oh, arms. Oh, wow. Crazy wow. Time. So, but you see, that's where the, that's where the sanctification comes from is, is from the Lord, from the Holy spirit. He sanctifies us and makes everything perfect through his suffering 
so that we know that we are indeed holy in his name. And this gets to the brother part. I want to get to the brother part now. He is not ashamed. So he's not to say he says, hey, brother, you know, kind of like how <laughs> people say, hey, brother, what's up? But he says he's not ashamed to call them brother. Why is that important? It says not ashamed to call us brothers. Okay, well, before we do that, I just want to make oh, one sure. quick comment. Well, no, no, because, you know, it says he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified in the English says all have one source. And, and what it literally says in the Greek, it simply says they're all one. I have oh. no idea why they stick the word source in there as if there's a, another thing involved, because it's really just talking about the unity that, that we have with hmm. Jesus Christ. We're all one. That's what it says. All right. So I just clarify that. Yeah, um, now, now, now back, back to the whole brothers deal. So, so um, Rudin again says, we, we just don't really understand the word brother the way they would have understood the word brother. Cause it's just like you said, we, we just use that. Oh, Hey brother, you know, uh, but, but they never, uh, and, and I'm assuming she's telling me the truth cause she translates classical Greek. Okay. But mm -hmm. she said she would never, they would never use brother in such a common fashion. Uh, you know, the text also talks about in the midst of the congregation and the word there means the assembly. Uh, the gap, and, and and of course the Christian congregation was a mishmash, wasn't it? You you probably had some aristocratic ladies there. You maybe had some free men and free women. There might even have been a slave or two. It was really an oddball mixture. You got Gentiles, you got Jews. It was really a strange, and and they never would have called that a brother. No, no, you you had to have some. Well, uh, see, it, it's a Jewish term actually. The Jews call themselves brothers all the time. But they literally are brothers, aren't they, Brady? You know, mm. I mean, they trace their ancestry back to Father Abraham. So so they mean it in a very literal sense when they address each other as brothers. And, and that's why the Jews would have a really tough time calling a Gentile a brother. You know, if you're a Jew, too, that's like, whoa, that's a hard term to use. Why would you call them our brothers? Um, so... I, I, just and think who he's talking about now. He's talking about Jesus, the one he established in chapter one, who is the almighty son of God. We really are brothers to Jesus. Uh, and yet that's that's what Jesus says. That's what he calls us. And, and again, that's a remarkable thing uh, that Jesus would call you and me his brothers. Um, and that's like when Jesus says, I call you friends. Like we can yeah. really relate with yeah. that. Okay, yeah. I get that. And that's why when Jesus was speaking to the people, Matthew 12, and they say, Hey, your your mother and your brothers are outside. They wanna they want you to leave and come with them. And he goes, No, no, no. These are my mother and my brothers. And that kind of really captures this, that that probably would have hit them much different than our like, oh, you're you're speaking figuratively here. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're we're like a brother. But he he doesn't say that. He says these are these are my brother and brothers. Yeah. And and that hits into this language, which is so much more rich, as you described it, than we ever could have imagined, because it would have hit them so much differently because the meaning is so much more powerful. So so two things, Brady. First of all, uh, you know, my wife says, John, you know, whenever you think you're smart, God has a way of coming and remind you how how <laughs> dumb you really are. Because <laughs> on this show, on this very show, to you, I made the comment that Jesus never calls his disciples brothers until after the resurrection. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and it turns out the story you just mentioned 
mentioned. No, that proves me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. So because uh, yeah. I needed to make that confession. So yes, there is that story where the mother, the real mother, the flesh and blood mother and brother come, and Jesus, like you said, no, this is my mother and my brother. The people that do the will of God, that's my brothers. Uh, although it is interesting that he never directly addresses his disciples as brothers until go. after the resurrection. And I do think that's significant. Everything he's talking about here, about the suffering and the death, and then, of course, the glory, the resurrection, that all had to happen before Jesus really could say that we're his brothers. Before that, I guess he wanted us to be his brothers. That was his will and intent. But there's something about that suffering and death and resurrection that, that confirms uh, our, our brotherhood. Uh, and now I'm going off on another track. So just let me go off for a second. It never occurred to me that that, that when we die, that affirms our brotherhood. I never thought about that. The thought just crossed my mind. Right, Brady? We think that death is a sign that we're not part of God's family. Okay. But thanks to Jesus, death is actually the sign that, oh, we are. That is what happens to God's people. They do die. And, of course, what they also do is they rise from the grave. They have glory and honor as the author of Hebrews says here. Um, I, could I share with you just a couple other things real quick? Because you got my mind going. You, you were talking about being comfortable with the, the word friend, that we mm -hmm. would be comfortable with being friends of Jesus. Uh, you know, that's what happens when, when Jesus confronts Peter uh, about his uh, betrayal. And, you know, Jesus says, do you love me? And, and, and if you read it in, in the original, what Peter literally says, is he says, well, I'm a friend to you. See, he won't say, I love you, because, you know, he can't say that because I betrayed you, but I, I, I would be a friend to you. So I just, it's interesting. Uh, but Jesus doesn't want friends. He wants, he wants brothers. That's what he wants. Uh, and, and then the other thing is uh, on this word brother. So I didn't trust Rudin. I didn't trust Rudin. So I, I went to the, the Greek classical dictionary, and, and I found out that one of the entries in the Greek classical dictionary for the word uh, Adelphus here, the word brother, is it's the word kings, kings use for each other. See, if, if a king was talking about another king, he would refer to that king as a brother. But obviously, obviously, he would never refer to you and me as a brother, would he? <laughs> No, no, no. no. Uh, another king he might refer to as a brother. And then I thought, oh, that's so cool. Because here we have the king of kings and lord of lords. And guess what he calls you? Guess what he calls everybody that's listening? I hope everybody that's listening to us understands this because he's talking to them right now. Everybody listen to us right now. He's saying to them, you are my brother. Yeah. So anyway, just some cool stuff about brother there. And this is just a reminder for me, too, of of one, the richness in each words, each of the words in Holy Scripture period. Um, we struggle with that a little bit with Nehemiah. There's some times where all we read was names. Like that's yeah. not so rich, <laughs> but yeah. it is rich when you realize that each name is one that God has called to be his own. That That's very rich. It's just hard to pronounce him. But here, <laughs> it, it, it very much so shows us the richness in such simple wordage that goes so far beyond our own words of brother, sanctified, uh, perfect through suffering, something that definitely does not ring in our ears as comforting for us, but definitely is comforting when you realize the depth of God's love to go through suffering, to make things perfect for us, a perfect relationship where he will call us brother, even though he is a king and we clearly are not. 
just so much richness that we could um, spend all day on. But I hope, as Pastor said so well, that this sinks in for you because you are the Lord's brother, part of his family. And, and he, 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 with joy, he did this um, for you. Pastor, as we look at the last uh, 12 and 13, he starts quoting the Old Testament. Um, well, I'm going to assume you don't have anything more to say in those other ones, but I might be well, wrong. Okay, um, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> wrong again. Well, no, just, I like it. No, but just two, two quick things, because it's interesting. You brought up the word perfect, right? It says, what, what is that verse there? It says you made him perfect. Verse 10. Ah, uh, yeah, verse 10. It uh, should be made perfect through suffering. Right. Uh, um, and, and like you said, so we hear that as being, well, without flaw. But but actually, the, the Greek word there has more of the sense of, of complete and full. So it's not that Jesus was imperfect, right? Do you think he was imperfect before he suffered? No, no, no. But perfect in the sense that this, this completed everything. There, and, and we're going to realize why this needed to be, why Jesus had to suffer and die. When we get to the propitiation word, oh, we, yeah, keep te- we keep teasing people about that. But that, <laughs> that's that's where it concludes, and that wraps it all up. But just so you understand that the sense of the word perfect here means that it wasn't it wasn't finished. It wasn't complete. But now it is. Now it is. And his suffering, everything needed to be completed. And, and talking about neat words, I, I just have to comment on founder founder of their salvation, because the origin of that word was, was a man who founded a city, and then he, he protected, he became the guardian for that city. That, that's the origin of the word founder there. For example, the, 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 and I have to think how to pronounce this because we call it New Athens, but I believe most people say Athens, don't they? Oh, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Confusing thing when you come from New Athens. So, but anyway, the, t- the town Athens is named Athens because it was founded by a man by the name of Athenia. See? Mm-hmm. And that's what founder means. And I just thought, what a great name for Jesus, right? He, he founded a city and, and the author is going to talk about the city he founded, doesn't he later on? Uh, and, and he protects and he guards that city. And in this text, we learn he's actually the one that makes us citizens of that city as well. And of course, I'm talking about uh, the city of heaven. So, uh, well, anyway, I just, I like that word founder too. That's a neat word. And so, are we able to move on to the uh, quoted passages or not? Yes, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We have about 10 minutes left here, Pastor. Okay. So I want to at least touch on these before we get to the propitiation part. Is just he um, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And then it tells us Psalm 22 and Isaiah 8. Um, both those passages are from Isaiah 8, 17 and 18. And just kind of a basic why we should... This, these are powerful words of brotherhood. Um, so I encourage our listeners to read that and to reflect on that. But did you have anything else to share in those 12 and 13? Well, the only thing that I would point out to you is, like you said, that, that uh, that's from Psalm 22 that, that begins with the words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So these are words of about Jesus suffering. And so it fits in perfectly with the words he said earlier about suffering, being perfected in suffering. And what a great comfort it is to know that when we feel that way, when we're suffering, when we even feel like we've been forsaken, well, we're not. There's at least one person who understands exactly what we're going through and feeling. So I I do think it's interesting. He's quoting that Psalm 22, which is how we usually, uh, don't don't we, we read that right before Good Friday, don't we? As we're stripping the altar on Maundy Thursday, because it is this powerful description of how Jesus is going to suffer for us. 
So let's move on to these last verses, uh, 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to meet he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So there's a lot packed into there, Pastor. Where do you want to start? Well, so so here's the thing. We we talked earlier about that the Greeks, the Greek kings, they would have called themselves brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So now Jesus, who is King of Kings, calls himself our brother. He says we're his brothers. Well, that's that's great for the king to sit upon his throne, right, and say, "Oh, I'm your brother." Yeah, thank. It's like that passage in James where, "Oh, your your brother comes to you and he's hungry and needy, and you pat him on the head and say, God bless you.'" That's easy for a king to sit up there and say he's our brother. But it's a far another thing for that king to share in our flesh and blood, huh? Mm-hmm. And to partake of the same things that we're taking and to face the same death and the same devil and the same things that bring us lifelong slavery. That's a whole different thing for a king to do that and then call us brother. So I think that's what's really cool about these verses. Yeah, he not only calls us brother, but he literally became our brother's face in everything, every temptation, every struggle we ever faced. That makes a brother, right? Isn't that what a brother is? The guy that's there with you all the time when you need him. And that's what the author is telling us. That's what Jesus did for us. Verse 17, not just that he becomes a brother, but it's in every respect. Yeah. I mean, this is not, and the closest thing that I can think of right off the top of my head is a, you know, the show Undercover Boss, where the boss son becomes (laughs) one of the workers. And that, you know, but the reality is they just kind of jump in and they jump out, you know, and they never, they know full well that, you know, yeah, I still have my big condo, a big house somewhere else, you know, but here Jesus comes and he stays. And, and he takes on all of that in every respect so that he is our high priest. And this is language from the Old Testament and to make propitiation. So uh, other thoughts on, on the, 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 the power of him becoming like us before we get to propitiate, propitiation, or do you want to go there now? No, I, th- I think you've said it well. I think you've said okay. it well, Brady. Yeah. So tell us about propitiation. It says high priest, he makes propitiation for the sins of the people, meaning all people. So what does propitiation mean? Okay, so here's the thing. I, I, you owe God something, and a propitiation is what you would give to God to try to make up for what you owe him. That's what propitiation is. It's a concrete payment of something you owe to the God. And, and, and all religions, pagan religions, are involved in that. In fact, that's what they're all about. That's why you make sacrifices, because you owe God something, so you got to make a propitiation, all right? Now, now, here's why that's so important to us. Because you remember the parable that Jesus tells about the guy that owed his master a million dollars, and then the master forgave him. He forgave him the million dollars. You, you know that story, don't you, Brady? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, but see, the problem is 
Okay, so you said you forgive me, but the fact of the matter is I still owe you a million dollars. And so the guy goes and he starts choking his fellow servants and say, give me a hundred bucks, give me whatever you owe me. Because in his mind, he's thinking, yeah, the master said he forgave me, but I know sooner or later he's going to want me to pay him back. So I guess I better be doing that. And indeed, the parable concludes with a guy being thrown in prison until every last cent of his debt can be paid. And that's the significance of propitiation. It's not just that God has forgiven us, which is a great and wonderful thing, but he's actually paid the debt for us. There literally is nothing that we need to do to pay God back because Jesus Christ in his suffering and in his death, he has already made propitiation for the sins of the people, it says there, and that's you and that's me. And that's why I like the word propitiation because if in the back of your mind you're thinking, well, yeah, maybe God will forgive me. Maybe he'll love me, but I got to do this. I got to do that. There's still something that I got to do to give to God. And, and then you remind yourself of this passage where it says, no, God, there's a lot of people you owe stuff to. You know, Paul talks about that in Romans. And we owe love. That's what we owe. We owe people love. But we don't owe God anything because that propitiation has already been made for us by Jesus Christ, by this merciful and faithful high priest. And you're going to be getting into that as you move on in the book of Hebrews. So, yeah. I do think, as you're saying that, it pops into my head as well, the distinction of friend and brother. Yeah. And 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 that— and, we're probably not going to be able to capture it with this, but there is that reality where you say, you know, that that person or that friend or whatever, they they get me. You know, they've been yeah. through similar experiences. They, they've been through all of this. And that's where verse 18 really connects us to God. We're like, oh, wow, you know, God gets it. He has gone through all the temptations. He knows what temptations I have. He's there for me. And that is, a, is a, exactly what we need many times in our lives, that we know that this temptation I'm struggling with, the Lord knows it. He feels it. He's been there, so forth. But that doesn't end there. Jesus just becomes a friend, uh, just a friend, I should say, because we don't want to deny what Scripture says about Jesus being our friend. But it does not end there. That's what the power of this brotherhood language shows us, that he made the full payment for us. That when people say, hey, how do you know you'll go to heaven tomorrow? They say, well, I hope I did. I had a good life. And you're like, no, you will never. that's, that's That's a friendship. That's all you have there is like, well, I hope we have a good friendship. No, the brotherhood is that the full payment has been done. You don't have to say that. I don't know if I did. I hope I did. No, that hope is not hope at all. That is just dust. But here we have the full payment of brotherhood that the payment has been made. That's a distinction that I'm feeling and seeing in this text. And because it goes so far beyond, he understands. And it goes, he has made the full payment for me. Because we have two minutes left. We have to give me your last thoughts as you hear. Well, it's what a brother does, isn't it? Now, I didn't have a brother either. I was an only child. You didn't have a brother. But but if you go back to the Old Testament, that's what the Old Testament expected a brother to do. If If your brother was taken off into slavery, it was expected you would pay the price to ransom him back. See, mm-hmm. and that's what we're being told here. Yes, we were taken off into slavery. We really were to sin, to death. And Jesus Christ came and he paid that ransom for us. See, he paid that propitiation because he's our brother. And that's what brothers do. Uh, now, sad to say, sinful brothers don't always, but uh, the perfect brother Jesus Christ does for us. So, yeah, that's, I don't know what else to say, except I hope everyone understands that. 
and and it, it is great, isn't it, to know he knows what we're going through. He's not, it's not foreign to him the things and struggles we have. But you're right; it's even more important to know him. He's going to take care of it because that's what a brother does for you. And he is our brother, and we're his brother. Yeah. Pastor John Lekomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics here on KFUO, giving us God's strong word of brotherhood in Hebrews chapter 2. Pastor Lekomsky, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you, Brady. It's been a joy as always. Saints of our Lord, pay closer attention to the great salvation we have. It goes so far beyond friendship. It goes so far beyond what we know as brotherhood, but it goes to a full payment on the cross for you, the greatness of the faithful high priest who has washed you clean, paid in full. You don't have to hope that you are saved. The hope is that you are saved. Pay close attention because this is yours, all completely free on account of Jesus. Thanks be to God. I'm your host, Brady Finner and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.